and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I am Lemuel, once again. Once again, and always. Returning as Lemuel. Uh, We wish you a Happy New Year. It is New New Year's Eve when this episode drops. Wow. And we welcome you into our next anthology. And into the future. Yes, and into Into the future. Into the future. So we're going to start talking about Castle Rock Season 1 this Mm -hmm. episode. Before we get started... How was your week? My week was really relaxing. Yeah. It was very relaxing. This weekend was so chill. I just kind of enjoyed oversleeping and I enjoyed all the It wasn't oversleeping. We both really needed it. Right. But I mean, I felt like it was all the overs, the oversleeping, the overeating, the over stuff, like lots of overs. And I, I want to do it more. I think there should be more time where I just do nothing and relax. Yeah. But the biggest, the biggest thing that any of us did in this house over Christmas was coloring. I think that was the most vivid activity, using a coloring book. I painted a painting. That was a, you painted. You painted a unique and unusual painting. Sure. Which heretofore did not exist. Well, that is true. <laughs> I will not argue that. So how was your weekend? It painting. was very nice. We were supposed to have people come over and play games, and they didn't come over and play games, and I'm... Actually, pretty fine with that. Right. <laughs> Not because I didn't want to play games, but because it was kind of nice to just do nothing. We ran errands on Thursday uh-huh. after our short day of work, and when we got home on Thursday, that was it until today. Yeah. Until today is Monday, so we did not leave the house again. <laughs> uh, I could have gone for a walk at some point, probably, but I didn't. And I went for fine. a walk to the kitchen and then walked back with a plate of food. <laughs> with a plate of food. So Some that, pie. That, was, that was so much Bread pudding. Yes. Bread pudding, yes. Uh. So, uh, it was a good holiday. It ended yes, up it being was. a very nice holiday. Uh, and next weekend is also a short, or a long, you know, a long weekend, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. I am also grateful for. I wrote my list of things to do uh-huh. for work between now and the beginning of next year. Right. And I was like, that's a long list. I think I'm probably going to be working some this weekend, but that's fine. It's good. Uh, I'm happy for the work. I am grateful to have yes. work coming in. So, uh, you want to get started talking about this sure. Castle, Castle Rock, Rock show? Which I really enjoy. Yes. I really enjoy the so show. So, we're going to talk only about season one to start okay. with, uh, because other things happened between season one and season two. We watched the show when it was on originally, Mm -hmm. so this is a rewatch for both of us. Um, It started, it premiered on July 25th, 2018. The last episode of season two aired on December 11th, uh, 2019, and it will not be coming back for a season three, unfortunately. That is a huge pity, because the show just, it, it started at a very high standard, Yeah, and then it got even better. Yeah. Which was surprising because I'm like, how are they going to top this? And yeah. they did better. And I was looking forward to a third season. Yes. And um, I, it was what I wanted it to be, yeah. which is kind of surprising because it was so nebulous to start with. Right. Uh, we just knew if there's this going to be this show called Castle Rock. It's set in Castle Rock. Right. It's not based on any of Stephen King's stories. Well, it is based on right. all of well, Stephen King's I, stories. I recommended to, to audiences or to our listeners a few weeks ago maybe it's hard to tell because we record these so many of these programs a week mm-hmm. um we i recommended dickensian to people yes which was an interweaving of all the minor characters and the only major character from dickens that shows up 
was uh, Scrooge. Yeah. But other than that, there are 20 characters to any given Dickens novel. And so this was what they were doing when they weren't sidelined by Pip or by You know, Mrs. there's a broad, an off-Broadway show called, um, I think it's called Puffs. Uh-huh. And it's about the Hufflepuff house. Oh, really? During Harry Potter's right. time at Hogwarts. And how they're like peripheral to everything, right. but not actually kind of involved like. in everything. I, I shouldn't have mentioned Mrs. Havisham because she's a major character in here, but there's the main characters. You, you don't see David Copperfield. You don't see Pip. You don't... Oliver you, Twist. You don't... Well, you see Oliver Twist very briefly. He's a side character in this one in the very end. Mm. Um, but it's mostly about Fagin and Bob Cratchit and everyone else. And it's kind of that way with this show. You're dealing with people who've been referred to or are mentioned in passing in the um, in the Stephen King world. And I suppose it only works when, like Dickens or like Stephen King, who I've often compared to, I've often compared Stephen King to Dickens. Right. That he's a populist author who's not going to get a great deal of respect in their lifetime, but is going to become canon in the future. Um, but like like these two authors, when you've created this huge world, you can afford to have a shared universe where all these characters interconnect, and how they interconnect is a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then also, the other interesting thing about it is that these are also actors who've been in the Stephen that King is, world. Right. It that is, are also interconnecting. There that's are, really fun. Yes, there's a meta sort of right. thing with, hey, we saw them in X show or X right. movie. You've seen Melanie Or we've Linsky seen this Steve character or, played by right. these other people. Sissy Spacek. These yes. are people who are returning to this world. Yes. We'll start with episode one. And we will do these discreetly because these episodes all very much have a discreet beginning and end. Okay. Uh, and I think that gets true even more into the as we get into the series. Um, I believe episode four, there's a big twist at the end of that, and it is explicit that this is the end of this right now. So the first episode of Castle Rock, as I said, premiered on... July 25th, 2018 on Hulu. I believe Hulu dropped the first three episodes and then dropped weekly after that. That's typically how they do their major series. Um, they, that's what they did with Handmaid's Tale and such. So I believe that's probably what they did here. Uh, and the first uh, thing we get is a go, right? right. It was... Um, was it 1991? Yes, 1991. It's weird because I didn't remember seeing it written down, but mm. then I was like, it was 1991. It had to be. I don't know why. Uh, it did, turns out. <laughs> so 1991, and we have a man tracking through the woods. Uh, it's very quiet. There's no uh, talking. It is winter. He digs up a little area and is seemingly relieved to find a deceased deer underneath the little pile that he dug out. Uh, and he goes and he sits down with his thermos and he's looking out over a frozen lake. And we see him looking out over the lake and we see the lake and then we look at him and then we look back at the lake and there's a child, a young black child, standing in the middle of the lake, at which point this man gets up, runs down, scoops him up, we see him take him, him back to the truck, asking mm -hmm. him, where have you been? You know, you're not, you don't have frostbite. 
it was negative 40 degrees last night. That's You could die in five minutes and you're not dead. Were right. you inside somewhere? You've been gone for 11 days. Do you know what happened to your dad? There's just a lot of sort of expositional questions being thrown out at a child who is not responding. Not responding. No, not at all. And, so, and just basically since I don't remember. Uh, this character then, of course, is introduced to us as Alan Pangborn, uh, a sheriff we have seen twice before, uh, once played by Michael Rooker, mm-hmm. and once played by Ed Harris. Now, Michael Rooker was, um, which film was that? The Dead Half. The, de- the, the Dark, dark half. half. And the then Ed Harris was Needful Things? And Needful Things, okay. correct. Uh, and Alan Pangborn is a character that reappears mm-hmm. frequently. So this is young Alan Pangborn. Uh, asterisk. We'll come back. We'll be seeing all He says, "I'm a friend of your mother's. Do you know what's happened?" And they get back to the house, and he takes him in. And then we get a hard cut to 2018, mm-hmm. where we have Andre Holland. Oh wait, do we go right to him? No, we don't. No, no. no we then go we to... go to. I'm sorry. I, mm-hmm. I apologize. Then we go to Terry O'Quinn. Dale, uh, Dale Lacey. Dale Lacey, which mm-hmm. is a rough name to say. Uh, I should say Warden Dale Lacey, the mm-hmm. warden of the Shawshank Prison. It is his last day of work. Uh, he is being forcibly bought out. Right. Uh, Shawshank has, I don't know if it's always been, it hasn't, no, because no, there's no such thing as always. A... It's turning into a private prison. Right. And this show has some interesting uh, things to say about well, there's private a lot of, prisons there's and the people who run them. to this program as well, yes. which you also always get with Stephen King, even if it's not direct and upfront. Yes. So we see him leaving his wife, who is played by Frances... Oh, no. I've forgotten her name. She's blind in this. She is not blind in life. Uh, but she's blind in this. What is her name? Frances Conroy. Frances Conroy. Who actually is uh, appears in the Mist? Yes, the Mist television television show, show as uh, Mother Carmody. Yes. There's nothing wrong with her performance. There is everything wrong with that show. Everything. Yeah, and that was just the year before mm-hmm. that came out in 2017, and we did decide to uh, avoid that. jump over that because we love ourselves and. Uh, it was our gift to us right? in, in the year 2020 when we needed a gift to ourselves. Um, she's awesome, though. She was the matriarch in Six Feet Under. That's mm-hmm. the first time I think I ever saw her. Yeah. Uh, and she, But she's been around and in everything, all of the things since. She did a lot of funny turns ago. in American Horror Story, which is a show yes. that I don't always watch because it has more downs than ups at times. But... Um, she created some very memorable eccentric characters yes. there. Yes, absolutely. She she's fun in American Horror Story, but yeah, I I can't with that show sometimes. So uh, she says goodbye to him, fully expecting him to come home, and then we see him um, performing the title of the show, <laughs> which <laughs> Severance. When he affixes a noose around his neck, which he has affixed to some tree in the woods, uh, and in his car drives with the noose around his neck uh, over the bluff 
into the lake it's where Henry was found. It's remarkably spectacular when yes. he commits suicide. Yes. I'm grateful that we didn't have to see the entire thing. You don't see right. it all. You do see, as he's going over, that is when you see the Shawshank sticker on mm-hmm. his car. Right. So you you don't really know what he's being retired, or what he's retiring from until right then. Uh, and then, yeah, and then he goes under the water. And then the next person that we see, I believe, is the inimitable Ann Cusack, who played just a peach in Mr. Mercedes and has only gotten better in this in this show. She is playing the replacement uh, to Dale Lacey, true supporter. Okay. And we get her, we, we meet her and her, what is it called? Deputy Warden? The, her second in command, who's mm-hmm. also just the peach of a guy. He's making he's making beheading jokes like the minute she walks into the room right. and starts telling us about the fact that they've lost four wardens. Shawshank has lost four wardens in office and says you can still see the bullet hole where uh, uh, Norton had killed himself. And that is the Shawshank... The, the the warden, warden during the Shawshank Redemption, who uh, got exposed for all of his his double dealing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, yes. And her first, um, you, you know, her her introduction is that well, if this was my office, I'd kill myself too. Right. To which the deputy says, "Well, this is your office now." So they're off to a great start. Uh, I don't know that he was being particularly. Um, like, I don't know if that was an attack on her or if that's just a joke that he made. I, I don't know what their history is. Right. Um, well, it's unclear to me. What we get from the very beginning is that he is, um, she is taking over. It's becoming a private institution yes. and she's running this as a for-profit institution. Well, yes, because that's what private prisons are. about how they can increase the population yes. because so they can get more money. Right. So this is a problem that exists in the real world. And it's awful. She's going through the financial returns. Yes. And they can make more money if they have more inmates. Yes. They've already so, double bunked everybody right. in all of the cell space. blocks that they yes. have open. And right. then there's this other cell block, cell block F, that's been closed for 40 years. And so she tasks two COs, um, who later we hear are uh, the average CO, of course, at this prison, is 25 years old and makes $9 an hour. Right. And that is an accurate description. Right. And it's, it's very awful considering the amount of danger that they're in, the mm-hmm. amount of... Uh, the, the, the responsibilities that they have. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's wild, but also accurate because, um, we, that, this is when we're introduced to, I want to, I wanted to call him Daniel Lewski, but it's um, not Dennis that. Dennis <laughs> Yes, Dennis Zalewski. Uh-huh. And I feel like his name is a nod to Mark Danielowski. Okay. Um, I don't know that it is. That's the author of House of Leaves, uh, this is not a an, an character that's in any of Stephen King's writings. Okay. Uh, but that name just maybe it's just it's just so Polish, and he's a familiar actor. He's in a lot of things, including I guess Shameless. He stars in, which is a show that I have not watched. Uh, but he's very good 
and is pivotal in this. So he is uh, tasked with another uh, CO to go downstairs and check out this closed off cell block. And he goes and his partner immediately just lays down on one of the cots and just is like, this is, this is what I'm going to be doing. And so Dennis sort of sighs and is like, okay, well, I'll just get on with this so we can get out of this. It's dark. There's no electricity in this area or the bulbs have been removed mm-hmm. for, you know, monies. There's I, also it's been unclear. a fire at some point. Yes, there was a fire at some point. And so, bodies were laid out. Yeah. And then he finds like a like a porthole kind mm-hmm. of, and there's a ladder going down, and so he goes down and down the ladder, which I would not have done. But I we've had He's a conversation a recently where ladders and my body are not compatible, so <laughs> I definitely wouldn't have done for that. Uh, and then um, while he's looking around, he sees a coffee can full of cigarette butts Mm -hmm. and then as he's scrolling or scanning with his flashlight he sees a person in a cage at which point he fucking hightails it up out of out of the uh up the ladder and out of the the closed cell block to bring this to the attention of the the bosses this is well above his pay grade well above his pay grade so that's Saluski. Um, then do we go? No, we don't. Then we stay on the storyline, and uh, we see the boy in the cage, who is referred to for most of this episode or this season as the kid. That's mm-hmm. the only name that he gets. Uh, it's play. He's played by Bill Skarsgård, who has just played Pennywise. Uh, right. on the big screen so it's another uh, casting crossover or I guess it's our first casting no yeah no well the first so one that, that we, we see that we see yeah right. that we see I believe he is our first casting crossover and uh, he doesn't say he won't say anything they there's no they do you see them doing like a count of the prisoners there's mm-hmm. no prisoner missing this is an extra person for whom they have no paperwork. Right. Uh, and they're asking him his name. They're asking him his name. Meanwhile, on the back end, we're hearing the warden and the deputy warden discussing what their options are. And their options are basically, like he says, do we call the board or do we call the cops? And she mm-hmm. says, let's not call anyone. Right. Uh this, you know, she's just gotten this promotion. She's trying to get onto the board of this private prison company. Uh, she says later, you don't get on the board by making problems for the board. It's real corporate and gross. It's really, it's that, to me, I mean, a lot really of just horrifying like, things happen, but that's the kind of thing that horrifies me the most. Yes. That individuals get to make these decisions. Because I'm just like, here's the thing. There are supernatural elements in this uh-huh. season of the show. And I believe in some supernatural stuff, but it's not likely to impact me. Mm-hmm. These decisions that pe- that corporations make to yes, put money do. over people are things that are happening all day, every day in this well, country, and that is way more horrifying to me. As we as we both know mm-hmm. personally from recent events, um, 
the ability for people to do things recklessly and never have to ever come clean yes. or take responsibility for right. them, it happens all the time. All the time. And so, um, yeah, that's the kind of thing that bothers me a yeah. lot because she's making decisions essentially, let's just not talk about But this. also just how many women and girls go missing mm-hmm. and are just disappeared because they can be disappeared. That's right. what's happening to yes. this young man. Whatever he was... They're they're trying to figure out a way uh-huh. to make it like he never happened. Right. And he's and a person. The steps that get taken in episode well, two are just atrocious. Yes. yes. But we'll get to we'll that get we'll there. get to episode two. Yeah. So uh when prodded and prodded and prodded, finally all that this person will say, all that the kid will say mm-hmm. is Henry Matthew Deaver. He says Henry Deaver. And then he says, Henry Matthew Deaver. So who is Henry Matthew Deaver? And then outside, and that's, uh-huh. he's in a, um interrogation room. Right. Outside that interrogation room, the other CO, not, not Zalewski, mm-hmm. but the other one says, that's not Henry Michael right. Deaver. Henry Matthew Deaver. Henry Michael Deaver is Ma- a black man. Henry Matthew Deaver. Matthew. Right. Why do I want it to be Michael? I Matthew. Don't know. Henry Matthew Deaver is a, is a black man. He was black. I don't that's, know your life. And he says, mm-hmm. caused a kerfuffle back. Oh, maybe he says back in 91, and that's mm-hmm. why 91's in my head. And then we cut to Andre Holland, who's awesome. And I'm sad that I didn't know who he was before this show. Uh, he is giving closing arguments to try and keep a woman from... Not the electric chair. It looked like uh, uh, lethal like injection. Lethal injection, yes. In Texas, she's played by uh, an actress named uh, Phyllis Somerville, and I had thought for some reason that she was in a horror movie that I had seen fairly recently, but she does not appear to have been in a horror movie recently. So my brain is playing tricks on me. I thought she was the grandmother in the visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she does not appear to be. So. My bad, my bad. But she's very good. So she um, has been convicted, and he is trying to get her sentence, her capital sentence, overturned. Okay. Uh, he uh, he is not successful in that. And so we see him going to have dinner with her as she has her last meal. And he sa- she tells him her earliest memory and asks what his... which was really funny because it was, um, she says, my old man used to take me to this bar and then he'd get real drunk and then we'd go next door to this gator farm and watch the gators for like two or three hours. And, and our roommate who was watching with us was like, that's romantic. I'm like, she's talking about her dad, right. so I don't think she's trying to be romantic about it. Like, the phrase old man for me yeah. automatically goes to father right. unless contextually it doesn't. Although she looks like the kind of person who would refer to her husband or her partner as her old man. That, Maybe. That's a thing. Um, but yeah, no. But then she, she was talking about how it was like, because mm-hmm. she had grown up down downwind of a cereal factory and it right. always smelled like Cheerios. Like these are the thing. And then she asks, what was your first memory of Henry, uh-huh. and he says uh, a song, the name of which I cannot remember. Uh, it has a number in the title. And she's like, oh, that's a good song. And this is the song that was playing in 
Pangborn's car, truck, mm-hmm. when he had been found. When Deaver had been found. When Deaver had been found. Okay. When Yes. So uh, that is he, what he says is his first memory, which is pretty wild since he was like 11. Right. Then he is her witness. He is the only one there to witness her uh, execution. As he's collecting her things, they all run back down the hallway because she's alive again. And he tries to stop. He's like, you don't get a do-over. And he tries to stop them, but he is ineffectual. He's been ineffectual in the courtroom. Disturbing scenes. And he is ineffectual And it's not ineffectual. We have to stress the case that this is not because he's a bad lawyer. It's because these people just want to see this woman die. It's... Because he does... It's not clear whether or not he's a bad lawyer. He does make a point. He makes an actual real argument. Claiming that the woman was abused by her husband, yes. that this is almost self-defense, and that you really shouldn't make comment. You shouldn't make the excuse me, not comment. You shouldn't kill her. It's not your responsibility to right. kill this person, right? Um, and the well, fact also, that, like he talks about, if it was up to me, there's no amount of doubt that would be right. reasonable when deciding whether or not somebody was going to die, right. whether or not to kill somebody, and that is what so that's the decision you're making, right? And whether or not to kill somebody, that. yeah. And then the fact that they um they go on and kill her a second time, yeah. And that was yeah. So there's some moments this movie, but that later, just you know, he says, "You don't have one of my clients. All my clients are dead," mm-hmm. which means he is. I don't know if it's because of the cases that he takes up right. or because the death penalty is so... See, what I took that is, first of all, it's a commentary in, on the death penalty. Yes. But I also believe it seems to be that he's the the only one that will take that. You know, like, there are lawyers who will only take cases that will win, and this is the guy who doesn't do that. He's taking all the, the no-hope cases. Yeah. Because I just got that impression from the character, the way it's portrayed in the film. Yeah, I think right? that's right. And I don't think he's a bad lawyer, but you do see that he is ineffectual, whether it, like I said, for yeah. whatever reason, his life life's work is not adding up to doing a whole lot of changing of what's happening. Uh, we should say, during this period, I through the CO and through some other uh, flashback things, we get the information that... Henry Matthew Deaver went missing in 1991. Mm-hmm. There was a search and rescue mission, and I think after three days, they found his father, his adopted father, right. the reverend of the town, much beloved, uh, at the bottom of that bluff with a broken back. Yeah. Uh, he, The reverend ended up dying at home from mm-hmm. his injuries. And then after 11 days, or I guess after eight more days, Alan Pangborn found him on the lake, and his memory was gone. Yeah. Uh, The town seems to think that he was the catalyst for his father's death, so people think he's a murderer and find it a little, when he goes home, ironic that he is representing murderers. Uh... We don't know. Well, the town has their own mythology about him. Yes. And it has to do partly with the fact that he was adopted into this family. Um, he's an adopted black kid. Into who, a very white... Right. Area. Area. Um, 
and so the feeling is that somehow there was always there was an issue as if he should have been more grateful than to do something horrible like yes. And there's no indication that we see at the the first two episodes that he had anything to do with his father's death. No, we know that he has a period that he can't recall. Right, and that's all. Right. So he gets a call. Mm-hmm. It's a an anonymous tip from our CO Zalewski saying there's a man here. They found him in a cage. And he's only said your name. He's asking for you. And he's like, mm-hmm. you, well, he's not my client. All my clients are dead. Uh, and, and, and last time I checked, there's a lot of cells in a prison. And he's right. like, not a cell, a cage, right. which that's a. Well, it's making the distinction that it's not here. even like a state-sanctioned because right. A, what no, we he find, was in an actual cage. He was in, but a, also cells are cages. He was underneath what looked like the hatch on a submarine, for yes. God's sakes. Yeah, and that's exactly what it looked Another like. Another hatch. Right. Lost. I know. Aeroquim. Yeah, that, that's that's. Uh, and so then he gets the on. He gets on a bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and takes a bus. He gets a, he had gotten that call at the Gator Farm, mm-hmm. uh, where he was, I guess, sprinkling her ashes. I don't know. Watching Gator just fed, or just experiencing mm-hmm. like closure with that that client. And he gets on a bus, and he gets off the bus in Castle Rock, Maine. Y'all, you guys remember this is in Maine, right? It's Maine. Of course, it's Maine. So Henry walks through the town. He goes to see his father's grave, but it has been turned into a parking lot. Uh, there's just no graveyard there. It's just paved over. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, and uh, one man on his, uh, I don't know, I guess he was just standing in his yard, but right. it didn't look like a yard. Yeah, it says, hey, killer, to him, but doesn't in- instigate anything further. Uh, he gets up to his mother's house, uh, lets himself in. The the smoke alarm is going off. Very much Deb, only but dip for a different reason. Uh, and he pulls a pan off of the stove, burning himself in the process, and then goes out to look for his mom, who's outside. And she says, oh, those two trees over there are dead. Um, do you have a chainsaw? And he's like, no. And she goes, okay, well, let's go look in the yard or in the shed. And it's clear that she doesn't know who he is. She's not aware of who he is. Right. And she says, don't worry. I'm not like them. I adopted a black son. And she's like, he's like, it's me, Henry. I am, I am said black son. Uh, and so. His mom is Sissy Spacek. And mm-hmm. Sissy Spacek, of course, is Carrie. Was Carrie. Was Carrie. <laughs> and he brings her inside and she's like sort of like coming back to herself. And then she comes. Uh, then down from downstairs, from upstairs comes Scott Glenn mm-hmm. in a tank top. Way to stay in shape, Scott Glenn. Fresh out of the shower. Well, he had just played Stick. Isn't that his name? Yeah, I think so. In Daredevil? Right, but I mean, he's always been this very physical actor. So yes. I'm like, oh, okay, there he is. It's like, he worked hard at this. He's going to show it off well into his 70s. Yes. So Scott Glenn is playing Alan Pangborn, mm-hmm. uh, a friend of your mother's, if you'll recall from the line earlier. 
they've been enjoying each other's companionship. And also it's pretty clear that they cared about each other even when she was married, right? Mm -hmm. And that he is why his mother cannot is not in a home right. or has not killed herself at this point because she is further into dementia than Henry seemed to know. He asks after the uh, nurse that he had gotten all set up for her, and she's like, oh, no, that we we stopped that a while right. ago. Uh, so we have Scott Glenn, and Alan wants, or uh, so Alan Pangborn is there in a stepfather role. Henry wants to bristle and say he's, ta- like, believe that he's taking advantage, but it's pretty clear mm-hmm. that he's caring for He's her. And I think Henry is also I, like, does she even know what's going on? Like, are you taking advantage of her? Which I don't think is happening. I, I don't be think clear. he's taking advantage of her, but I think that he's doing what he thinks is best for her. I don't quite trust Alan Pangborn over the two episodes. Yeah. Um, because he has more information than he's letting anybody else know. Yes. And, yes, he does. We find out so later. he hides things that he probably should be telling people. Everything would make a lot more sense, and things might even be resolved sooner if it wasn't for his reticence in talking about what he knows about what's going on at uh, Shawshank. Yes. Um, And then Henry does make a trip up to the prison, out Mm -hmm. to the prison, where Ann Cusack, um, our lovely warden, is like letting him page through all Mm -hmm. of the current inmates. And saying, nope, I don't know what you're... I, I, nobody extra. Don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what you could be on about. Nobody here's asked right. for you. Don't know who you are. And then on his way out, she says something about uh, all of his dead clients. And she's and he asks, how do you know I work capital cr- cases? Because previously, they had Googled him. Right. And so she knew who he was because this person had, in fact, asked for him. Uh, and she really skillfully is like, well, we might not have, you know, we not, might not be fancy, but we have the cable news. And I saw what happened to your, yeah. you know, client in Texas, which they would have gotten on the news. So I was like, whew, that's a hell of a save, man. Like, I see how you're climbing this corporate ass ladder. Also, I hate you when I <laughs> die. Um then the last person we're sort of introduced to is one Melanie Linsky introduced uh, the first person to call her anything calls her a MILF. Right. It is fucked up. She is buying drugs from a teenager at a school in a Volvo and doesn't have enough for her normal order, like dollar wise. Right. So that's where she's at in her life. Also, she informs the kid that you have to have kids to be a MILF, and she does not. So she is not, in fact, she a MILF. She turns out to be a very interesting character. And there's a, yeah, she always has a couple of compelling character turns, and this was a really, because yes. she's not entirely trustworthy either. There doesn't seem to be someone in this entire first episode, we're introduced to a, a dozen characters easily, who seems to be someone that you can invest a great deal of faith in. Yes. Everyone seems to have another motivation, or everyone seems to have a secret to hide. Yes. So, Melanie Linsky, we've seen before. She was in, of course, Rose Red as sister, which is 
still upsetting to me. <laughs> that was her kind of character name. Right. Uh, and she, when she sees Henry Deaver get off the bus, she gets real low in her little Volvo uh, and takes an extra dose of her whatever medication she has she purchased takes from this child. Yes. Because uh, she has a condition. We'll mm-hmm. get into it later. So, and her name is Molly Strand. We don't know anything other than she knows who Henry Deaver is, and she is currently taking drugs, illicit substances that she's buying from minors, who look like Crispin Glover. (laughs) That kid really did. And I believe... Oh, and then finally we are back at the prison, Mm -hmm. and we're with... uh, I want to call him Lewinsky. And, uh, call him Dennis. Our C.O. Dennis. Okay. Uh, corrections officer. C.O. Dennis. And he is manning the cameras. Uh, he sees the kid stand up and look up at the camera. And then everything fuzzes out. And when everything comes back, he sees several guards wounded on the floor in several locations in the prison. Mm -hmm. And he takes his service weapon, gets up, and goes out to, you know, see what the ruckus is about and stop whatever it is. And ends up pointing his gun at his partner, one of the other COs, who is like, what the fuck are you doing? And everybody is fine. Nothing... Right, nothing's happened. This is an illusion. What he saw is not what reality was. And... That is basically where we end the episode, right there. Because that's where we start the next episode. So that is Severance, episode one. Episode two is called Habeas Corpus. A very good title for the episode, in which we still know that someone is being held without cause, reason, a lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Any uh, indication that people understand that this is a free human being (laughs) with, like, agency in the world. We sort of start right off in in the scene with him, with the CO, going through these dark, flickering corridors to be confronted with the fact that it's not. That's not what's happening. And um, he's pulled his gun Mm -hmm. on his coworkers, and he needs to calm the fuck down. And, you know. Yeah. And uh, then we get Terry O'Quinn, Warden Lacey's voiceover, uh, telling a story that starts with the fall after they found that boy's body out by the train tracks, which is a direct reference to the stand. Uh, nope, to no, stand by to me. To stand by me. To the body. To stand by me. Uh, he talks about a football game where he was tackled particularly hard and they were concerned about him, but he was able to get up and walk around and it wasn't him that they should have been concerned about because his brother, who was the mascot for the high school team, had climbed up to the roof of the school and proceeded to jump off in full mascot regalia. This is the beginning of what will become a theme, which is there's something wrong with the place itself. Yes. and. So, um, I'm going to read a little bit directly from this article. Mm -hmm. Uh, The suicide preceded Lacey's by 
uh, Lacey's owned by six decades, during which she became a man who could point to any house in town and declare every interest stained with someone's sin. Uh, his own house had been the uh, scene of a... It's unclear if it's a murder-suicide or just murder. Mm-hmm. A woman ran carbon monoxide into the house and killed her husband and child. It just child. looks like murder because she's sitting in the car. She's sitting in the right. car, yeah. He says it's not bad luck. It's, it's a plan, but mm-hmm. it's not God's plan. Like, right. the place is bad. And then he says, remember the dog, the strangler? Sure you do. And so these are... So that's Cujo and probably uh, dead, the dark half. I'm going to call it the dead half forever, apparently. Um, In his prayers, he thinks that God told him sort of what to do to help, um, like to help save the town. Um, You see Operation uh, Desert Storm on television, so... We're putting it in 1991, mm-hmm. right? Um, I guess it's one week into Henry uh, Henry Deaver's disappearance, and then we see Alan Pangborn fleshing out this part now, sort of. And it's the devil was a boy, and Old Dale said he'd caught him, locked the devil in a box, and from here on out, it was blue skies and butterflies. He's talking to. The, the warden. The new warden. The new warden who's mm-hmm. having a drink at what looks like a hotel bar. Right. And Pangborn sidles up to her and orders a $6 course and basically says, you found that boy? Mm-hmm. Lock him the Lock fuck him. up. Right. Make sure he never gets out. It, the, 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 the idea is getting across is that Lacey believes that God had told him where to find this devil and how to build his prison, insisting he'd never see daylight again is a problem because at the end of this episode spoiler alert daylight on his face that's bad uh so then we get more sort of voiceover of Lacey saying what i didn't realize is how conflicted i would be because this looks like a person right i be- like this there's no indication that this isn't just a kid a, just a kid mm. It's unclear how much of this voiceover is in the suicide note that he left for Alan Pangborn, begging him to keep being the protector of Castle Rock, however he could, I guess is kind of how we say. We also see a fluffy sheepdog digging up the Warren Lacey's head. (laughs) So they found it, because they had indicated that they had not found the head. Dog found it. So Henry is trying to figure out what's going on because he gets another call like, mm-hmm. no, he's actually he's here and they're going right. to do something. They're going to keep him. moving him around to where you can't find him yeah. or stonewalling you. Yes. Uh, and Henry tries to go to see Lacey's wife, mm-hmm. uh, Frances Conroy, right? And she invites him in and then gets a phone call and at that point she comes in and she says, are you black? No, we said she's blind. Right. <laughs> she's not <laughs> She's not colorblind. She's a blind woman. And he says, last time I checked. And then he's like, "You're." she, she knows who he is. She knows he's Henry Deaver. 
and uh, that there's a special place in hell for him because he killed his father, which we don't know that. Right. There's a bunch of... Meanwhile, he had been sort of looking through Dale's work. She said, he said, you know, did, did he ever bring any work home? And she takes him to the, an office or a study. So mm-hmm. he's looking at uh, newspaper clippings. Some of them say things like Shop, shopkeeper missing after oddity store fire. Leland got his name checked. There's also a Cujo um, reference in the right. newspapers. So it's a lot of Easter eggs. I don't know if I want to use that term, but sure, we'll we'll use that. Then we're at a bar, the Mellow Tiger, I guess it's called, and uh, Henry's having a drink, and your favorite, Jane Levy, comes up, right. and she... She's the best. She, she basically accosts Henry Beaver, knows who he is, wants to see his feet because there was a rumor that he lost he three lost toes, toes to frostbite. And he's like, I'm not, no, we're not doing that. Uh, and, you know, she tells a story about what happened to Nan's luncheonette. And she spins this tale that Nan was uh, running a fuck club and got. Uh, outed by or blackmailed by the governor's deputy or something and I'm like is she just making like spinning this like she could be she could be Uh, this character's name of course Jackie Torrance she is the niece of a Jack Torrance she also we found out later in like the last episode she's in maybe that she changed her name like that's not her given name she's Got it as an she's using it as an homage to her right. uncle, and uh, she then is like, "But what the 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 story that everyone says is that she just stopped. You know, she packed it up when Castle Rock decided to unincorporate because it was no longer it was literally no longer on a map." And she was like, "Well, it's gonna be real fucking hard to run a business when I don't exist." Uh. And she's like, she tells him that he inspired Halloween costumes for years until pictures got out and then there was like a blackface scandal. Because, of course, everyone in this town is fucking white. Which, I mean, is also brought up when he is talking to the warden. And she's like, you know, in a lily white town like this, are you sure? Or state, in fact. Are you sure you weren't being punked, basically? Right. Which is wild, but sure. We're going to go and spend some time, I think, with Molly. Molly Strand, Melanie Linsky, who has lunch with her sister. She is a real... Molly is a realtor. She sold two houses this month, which seems like a lot in Maine, in a very small town that's not even on the map. Uh, And that she has a quote-unquote undiagnosed... Psychic ailment, I believe, is how her sister refers to it. Uh, Melanie, or I guess we'll call her Molly. Molly. Molly refers to it as an overabundance of empathy. And she takes, I think it's Percocet, half of one per day, right. to muffle other people's noise. And, uh, yeah, because she has, I guess, too many mirror mirror neurons that are responsible for empathy. That is how she has diagnosed herself. Mm. 
Does she have the shine? Sure. Of course she does. Why wouldn't she? Uh, Henry um, ends up smuggling himself back into Shawshank. No, he does this in a very clever way. Yes. He, he rejoins the like the, the, the prisoner partner program. Yes. After Alan says it'll uh-huh. take an act of God to get you in that church again. Uh-huh. Or was it Alan that said that, or the CO? It was one of them. It was the CO. Then he joins Jackie, who is a church volunteer, um, to sing in the choir. Yes, the choir for the church. I do not believe that Jackie has necessarily much religion in her. I do believe she wants to go look at. She is nosy uh, as hell and wants to get all the nasty, terrible stories, and therefore volunteers for the worst of the criminals to be like the Bible partner to. Yes. Which is what makes her also kind of intriguing and entertaining is the fact that she's just so damn nosy and weird. Yes. Um, and he has talked he has talked to the CEO, he knows who it is now, and he's talked to him and he says and he said, You have to like I need proof that he exists. Right. Like I can't get anywhere if I don't have any proof that he exists. And so after the church services broken up and Henry is outside up sort of walking up against one of the fences, the CO pushes the kid sort of outside after asking him, Hey, you weren't like wandering around last night, were you? <laughs> Which is a wild question to ask somebody. Did you happen to be wandering around a mass murdering people? Yeah. Because I, I seem it to think some mass like murder you were, was going on. But then you weren't. But everyone's though. alive yeah. and no one's been mass murdered. <laughs> it's very weird. And uh, he pushes him outside at which point, and then he, and the kid, you know, mm. blinks and is having struggling with the light because he has right. been underground for a long time an indeterminate amount of time it's unclear y'all it's longer than you think it is <laughs> um and at that point henry sees him and takes out his phone and takes pictures um so then he has actionable proof that there is a person in right. this prison that shouldn't person. be in this prison so he'll be able to do that and that is how this episode ends. So there's a lot of um, sort of flashbacks and uh, introductions, like yeah, there's a lot of character introductions, a lot of characters to get a hold of, and their story becomes it's an it less half. I was uh, like, is that really all that happened in this episode? Yes, that is all that it. Maybe because there was so much info in that first episode, the second episode, at least in terms of plot, mm-hmm. not a lot. Not a lot. Um, yeah, because what we're doing is we're setting it up for all the things that happen afterwards. Yes. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I felt like there was... Oh, there was something that we didn't cover that I should uh, yes. state. The Please. The um, warden, after hearing Pangborn's uh, story, yes. either inspired by that or the fact right. that she needs something to do, tells her... Her major domo, who's a horrible yeah. human being. <laughs> takes the deputy warden yeah. up on the idea of getting him a roommate that collects life senses, mm-hmm. i.e. putting him in the room with a man who will murder him. Right. Uh, and he does that. Puts him in a room with a dude with a lot of swastika tattoos. Right. I didn't know there were that many kinds of swastika. It's a variety pack. Oh, my God. Um, it's wild. But... And... 
What ends up happening? What ends up happening is that that cellmate dies of every conceivable kind of cancer yes. that there is that can be had by the human body. He, they he fi- they find him dead, uh-huh. um, and they're like, "Was it? Is it his heart?" And the the coroner is like, "His heart, his liver, his lungs. Mm-hmm. He is whittled with metastatic cancer. I am surprised he could walk into that cell on right. his own." Uh, the so chances we're now that, yeah. we're very well aware. Now we've been informed of the fact that there is possibly something desperately wrong with this kid, and now we seem to have every indication that both through Zaluski's uh, hallucination, yes, and also through um, this, you know, spontaneous uh, sudden onset of cancer, advanced cancer, that it looks for all the world like maybe he is the devil or something or something. Right. And we know that there's darkness in Castle mm-hmm. Rock. Like, right. That's sort of the through theme. Castle Rock and Derry both have things wrong with them. We know that in Derry, it's it. The kids disappear. Here, everyone just uh, has a problem. It's it. Mm, ice cream. It's sandwich. it. You know we passed by the It's It factory the other day? Yeah, because it's it was right really, over there. It was really... I, I wish I could have them. I can't anymore because I can't eat ice cream. Nope. No. So... So you'll have to eat more for me. So what did you think? We also see that Molly uh, was very enamored of Henry as well, a child. I'm not even sure enamored is the word. She Enamor- seemed to be... I'm, not, I'm not using... I guess that is the wrong use. She was... Obsessed with him. by him. Right. Because she's, she's him, watching yeah. him all the time. As There's flashbacks to her as a teenager staring at him and it's either the curiosity of being not even black a teenager younger than that I think is it because I had talked I think she was tell. probably like nine or ten when when oh that's right in 91 be a age. yeah okay because we only see her like looking out of her bedroom in the night yeah and I don't mean like enamored like with lust like mm-hmm. she is no I think it's almost as if this is the only black kid in him. town or she actually is drawing some sort of empathy from a situation that only she right. understands. Right, but we don't get she, that yet. She might be getting. Maybe he's the only thing. Maybe it's like Fifty Shades of Grey, or no, not Fifty no. Shades of Grey. No, okay, uh, Twilight, you're, where you're fascinating right. to me because you're the only mind I can't read. Okay, right. <laughs> was that Twilight or was that? That's Twilight. Oh, I thought that I was. I mean, it's uh, definitely ripped off of something. It might also have been used in True Blood. That right. is a thing that is used fairly it's, often. Yeah, that they, they Well, can't... Twilight is, right. you know, fan fiction. Well, Fifty Shades was fan... I don't know. It's all fan fiction. Yeah. But it's all borrowing from days. other things. But yes. yeah, that was that was the thing with uh, in Twilight. Edward was taken by Bella because her blood smelled mm. goddamn delicious, apparently. And also, he couldn't read her thoughts. And so. in True Blood, it was that... She was a fairy. Suki? Suki. Suki couldn't actually, could read everyone's thoughts except for the vampires, except which is why vampires, she pre- which was, yeah. prefers their company. Yeah. Yes, because they were quiet. So right, as opposed to yeah. having to hear all the right. weird sexual indelicacies that people told her on dates. So it's unclear, but um, her, his sister, or, or, I'm sorry, Molly's sister calls uh-huh. her something... Like Miss Teen Stalker 1991 right. or something like that about her obsession with Henry Beaver when they were kids. So it was she was also not like slick about it. <laughs> no, I think she doesn't seem to be slick about much of anything. But she also seems to be very. Um, Molly seems to there's a 
definitely is a troubled person. But yes. Yeah, I'm not sure how far we're going to take that All right. in terms of the story. So next week, uh-huh. we're going to watch episodes three and four. Uh, that's Local Color and The Box. And yeah, I am seeing here that they did release the first three on July 25th, and then the, okay. the fourth one was on August 1st. So we're going to watch episodes three and four, uh, and we're going to talk about them next week. Yeah, it is sort of upsetting, the episodes. There's something about the case with the kid that reminds you of Khalif Browder. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate, because as it turns out, that he's not unlike don't Broder. spoil everything. Well, but... <laughs> you know, but we know already that there's a reason why he's in this Well, somebody's hatch decided that there was a reason. Right, and that it doesn't seem to be that he's... Uh, we don't know that he's responsible for a crime. Right, but he doesn't but, seem to be a full innocent. But it seems to be similar to Broder's case in that there's just this effort to bury it under so that nobody ever knows that this happened. Right, just shuffling it from right, one Right, shuffling place around and you're, you're covering your tracks because you don't want anybody to know. But something that came to mind when I was watching it was, um, oddly, the Bible. There is, because I mean, we know that Stephen King is a religious person. There's a lot of religious illusions yeah. in his books. Yeah. Um, when we see the kid brought out of it, out of this hatch, he's underneath this submarine hatch, and then yeah. there's a staircase that goes down into utter darkness. Yeah, I don't and know how they got him out of there. Right. If he had been in that cage for however long he'd right. been, for any length of time, really, um, even just since the death of the warden, um, how they got... And th- that's the other thing is, the character that Bill Skarsgård is playing is probably like six seven. Yeah. He's not. His, the actor is not. They film him from below He's and show... And crazy! Th- he, he has I lost that. He a significant looks like an amount of weight. Painting these yes. elongated figures. That yeah, are, they you know, they show him in the shower, and he right. is. Uh, and on the one hand, it reminded me of Casper Hauser, who mm. was the um, the German youth who had grown up in isolation. He'd been gro- raised in a cell, and gets released later on in life and becomes a celebrity. Even though he, but in his case, there was physical defects, and this doesn't seem to happen to the kid. The time outside of sunlight doesn't nearly kill him. You know, when he steps into sunlight and things like that, it troubles him because he's not used to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, the biblical allusion, I think, is to the book of Revelation when there is a uh, Lord of the Flies. And the flies seem to be very popular at one point with um, Mm -hmm. when they bring the kid up and they're doing the medical examination. There's flies crawling on him. It's so funny you mentioned, sorry, I just want to say. My understanding of Casper Hauser was that he did not grow up that way, and it was all a lie. Uh-huh. But you indicate that you're on the the the. This is we don't have to go into it. I just was like, wait a minute, he wasn't though. But then I guess it's unclear. <laughs> like he died young, and it's unclear. Well, he was also <coughs> excuse me, he was murdered. Yes, um, stabbed. Yeah, so there was a. There were some people I know that he. He apparently was, as far as I understand, a celebrity at the time because yes. of the strange story that he told. Yeah. And the fact that he had physical abnormalities. Yes. One of the first things he did on being rescued from the cell is put his hand into a fire because he'd never seen one before. Um, so there was just strange things. and There was mental deficiencies. And I remember reading how uh, Colin Wilson at one point suggested that he might have killed himself in an effort to get attention again because he was 
developmentally little more than a child. Mm. And so being the center, this cause celebrate around Europe, that when he wasn't getting attention anymore, he winds up trying to fake an assassination attempt to get attention, not realizing that he seriously injured himself. But um, whether or not he actually did it, that would be... It's, it's all... It's, it all it's immaterial unclear. because it's very the story of a boy who grows up in a cell and, you know, has issues. Yes. And again, at the time, the physical exam, the medical examination given to him suggested that he was telling the truth, um, as far as he knew it. But in terms of, again, the biblical illusion, the angel that, the, of the bottomless pit lives at the bottom of a pit. Yeah. At the literal Lord of the Flies. And I thought that maybe it was a reference to that, too, that you open Which, up Which, this... uh, yes, and, mm-hmm. and he is referred to uh, in the credits for Castle Rock as both the kid and the angel. Right. And I'm unclear if the angel is his cameo from the second season. Right. Or a reference to this season right. as well. And it could be, because there's that biblical reference to the angel of, uh, what's it referred to, the angel of the abyss. Ooh, uh, that seems bad. Right, whose name is Abaddon, and it's Greek, it means uh, the destroyer. So I thought that could possibly be, because there are biblical references in the stand to the walking man, and so I thought there might be something to that too. Uh, but I guess that'll be borne out by the episodes coming. Yes, yeah. But uh, yeah, really enjoying it. The cast is amazing. Uh, and they really are committing to the parts too. Yes. Uh, yeah, and they, it's not done. they didn't just get right. people who've been in Stephen King no. stuff. They got really good people who right. also all happened to have already been in Stephen King. Ter- I didn't realize Terry, I forgot. I didn't, not that I didn't uh-huh. realize. I forgot that Terry Quinn had been in Stephen King thing. Oh, I got it. Silver Bullet. That's what it was. That's what it was. Silver Bullet. He's a sheriff in yes. Silver Bullet. I was like, it was in one of the TV yeah. things, and that was one of the TV things. So, yeah, so he was in Silver, Silver Bullet. Okay, I'm sorry that I did that. No, no, it's fine. I just, um, yeah, here we go. Uh, it, it had said it. Linsky's another King veteran, ABC's O2 miniseries Rose Red, O'Quinn 2 via 85's SK Penn Silver Bullet, right. as well as executive producers, Liv, producers Liv Glotzer and, uh, who produced Darabont's uh, Shawshank and the, the Mist. So, uh, yeah, so sorry. So, yeah, so he was in Silver Bullet. I like that one. Yeah, I did too. One. So, okay, so any other thoughts no, no, on no. this? Okay, so next week we're going to watch... You're watching, uh, da- uh, excuse me, <laughs> Local Color. Okay. And the box. Okay, so those the are episodes and three box, and, and four. And the box. And the box. Not spoiler, but a content warning for episode four. Uh-huh. The end of that episode is uh, extraordinarily violent. Okay. So. Well, also we should warn people. You, you do see somebody um, given a lethal injection. I think. Oh yeah, in these episodes. What yeah, I like is that the violence is not explicit so far. I don't know that. I guess that changes in episode four. But yeah, it may change before then. But uh-huh. the end of episode four was when we were watching it. We were both like, "Holy shit!" Okay. Like it was a big shift okay. that happens at the end of episode four. So, prep. Uh, in the meantime, do you have anything you would like to? Recommend? There is so much that I saw that I would like to recommend, but I'm going to you could recommend all the things. Big one. Which was a Wonder Woman 84, or WW84, like World War. 
84. And I'm recommending it mostly because I've seen people give it really negative press. Um, yeah, I'm seeing some negatives. And I don't understand why, because it's exactly what the film is supposed to be. I think part of the issue is that the first Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman movie is very much, in a way, like Black Panther, in that it was a game-changer for these kinds of movies, especially having a female lead. And I don't know if people were expecting something just like that, um, but this film doesn't take itself as seriously. It doesn't. And it's a, But it's a perfect kind of time capsule, even though it's made now, of what the 80s were like for a person who's never, who didn't live through that the decade. Um, the position on greed and having what you want, the, the way that women were objectified, there are things that you won't see in a film directed by a man. There's a scene where two of the lead characters walk into a museum benefit event, and they're just surrounded by uh, men ogling them and trying to buy them a drink or trying to get it hooked up mm -hmm. to the point to where it's ridiculous. And I've never had to be in a position where that happens to me. So seeing that and seeing from a woman's point of view what it's like is pretty awful. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of, well, there's a lot of action scenes, but also a lot of drama. There's a lot of drama to these films, the two Wonder Woman films that Patty Jenkins has directed. So uh, I'm not sure if people were expecting more superhero stuff or people were, but at the same time. People are mad because there's a lady on television. I think that has a lot to do with it because the only negative reviews I've seen are for men. And they'll go on and do 10-minute YouTube videos about how bad the film was, in their opinion. And it it seems to be like the criticism for Hamilton that never comes out and says, this is a black performer and it bothers me, but let me find all the other reasons why I don't like this movie and inflate those reasons completely, or this uh, television program and inflate this completely out of uh, proportion. Yeah. Um, but I understand if somebody was looking for the original Wonder Woman film and didn't see it, but this is a separate film with separate characters. And... They're all very well fleshed out. There are no paper, cardboard paper cutouts in this movie. No, that's true. The villains all have representation. They're not one-dimensional. Yeah, I don't... Even the worst of them... I will say, uh -huh. from a female point of view, I don't love... I really... Okay, Kristen Wiig plays uh, one of the um, villains uh -huh. in this, and... I don't love that at the last in her last scene uh -huh. she switches to be jealous. She is not jealous previously in the film. She is in awe of Gal Gadot's character. She is um she wants to be friends with her. There is no looking down on her by uh Diana. Uh -huh. And then there's this weird twist in the last bit of her character development right. where she, where it manifests v verbally at the very least as jealousy and uh, entitlement in a way that I don't I, love. I have a response to that, but I feel that if, It'll give away a lot of the movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to. So, yeah, I don't want to. So, do but that. if it comes down to, is it worth watching? It certainly is. Sure, for sure. And 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 also the kind of criticism it gets, like Birds of Prey, is sort of unfair. Is that I'm getting, I'm hearing criticism that's kind of peripheral and 
And so I want to support it on those grounds. This is a good movie. It's worth watching. It's certainly as worth watching as any of the superhero films that we have seen. Yes, for sure. And um, and maybe more than yeah, some. And I, Pedro Pascal, who I don't, you know, I'm used to seeing, never, not seeing his face. That's right. Um, he actually gives a really good performance here as a person. He he's, does. He's very good. And he, I'm, I'm looking forward to him right. blowing the fuck up and being in all the things. He is somewhere between Walter Mercado. He does the same kind of pointing at the camera, manifest your dreams business. And yeah. maybe... Gordon Gecko, the character that uh, Michael mm-hmm. Douglas plays in Wall Street. He's kind of in between those two characters. But he's also and even he's, just a fraud. Right. Like, he's given some motivation, too, though. And that's what yeah. I appreciate. Is like everyone in here is balanced out to where they're not just one thing. But, uh, but anyhow, no, that's my recommendation. Uh, if you like this kind of movie, and if you don't, there's enough drama in it to actually go as a dramatic film as well. The sort of romance element is a huge part of this movie. Um, so what do you recommend? What would you recommend of the, the wonderful things that we saw on our vacation? Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and re- just recommend Soul. Okay. Uh, another, uh, it's a, the latest Pixar movie. Uh-huh. Released on Disney Plus on Christmas Day as uh, Wonder Woman was released on uh, HBO on Christmas Day, which is why... We watched them. We also watched them both on Christmas Day, which I thought for sure was not going to happen, but we definitely did. Um, And Soul is Pixar's first movie with a black uh, lead. Uh Which is bizarre, but there it is. Yeah. I'm trying to think if any of the voices in something like Cars were black, but no, I don't think that they were. And even if they were, that's not a black leading character. So... um, we have Jamie Foxx starring in, in alongside Tina Fey, uh, and I don't want to say too much about it. Yeah, they it took surprising directions. They don't give a lot directions. of way in the trailer, yeah. and so I didn't know what the movie was going to be, and I think I liked it better for right. that. So I don't, I don't want to say too much about it. I was taken by it. surprise because I, I got one idea from the trailer about the kind of film it would be. And it was not that kind of film. The the only trailer I ever saw was mm-hmm. very much a teaser. Yeah, the one. It was. It basically was like, right. here's your main character. He's gonna die. Dot dot dot. Like the, and, right. and this is and, and it's called Soul, um, which he's a jazz musician, but also you know. Like the thing in your body that is your essence, if you believe in that there kind is, of thing. I do. Yeah. Um, there is, uh, yeah. I, uh, the trailer that I saw in theaters, actually, when the film was first released, I was watching it with a friend, and her first response was, oh, the first black lead that Pixar has, and he dies in the opening scene. And that was the impression that we got. And it was a lot more than that. At first, we were just very skeptical. Yes. Um, the film itself is really devote your attention to it. It's Look beautiful. away from your phone if you're watching yeah. this movie at home. Um, there are references to Picasso. Yes. Heaven looks a lot like a really lovely version it's of Guernica. Heaven. Or the way station. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take any... It's a very odd theological film. Like, well, what really happens to them? But the idea it's is... An, I like the... the I construct? like the construct of it. Uh, and I think it is... A helpful construct 
that is broad enough that kids of all religious faiths, persuasions right, right can watch it and their parents will be able to sort of right unless they're an atheist yes not a <laughs> if you're a materialist if you do not believe in the soul then don't watch a movie called Soul. This I guess is, this is well. What I'm saying is, uh, this isn't a movie that maybe you want your kids to watch until you're ready to have that conversation with them. Yeah. Uh, but um, other than that, uh, I think it is a broad enough concept uh-huh. that kind of can incorporate a lot of ideas from various religions. Right. So it's not going to directly contradict your faith in this children's movie that your that your kids are watching. So um don't be afraid of that. Like that do it, it is you And maybe that's my mistake. I'm saying heaven it's not at all heaven because you don't have any sense what happens to people no, after they die. No, it's free because there right. is a post that they definitely show uh-huh. to the great beyond. There's like an escalator. Um but we don't go there. That's right. not well, that's not where this is. The whole right? point is trying to avoid there. Yes, and uh, this. But the other thing about this movie that you do want to be aware of, especially if you're watching with kids, is concept of death is discussed in right. de- detail. So if that is not a discussion that you discussion want to have, that you want to have, then this is not the movie. For this you. is not it yet. So, but it's not. You know, like I said, it's. It's hand. I think it's handled very, very well. Uh, it feels it feels of a piece with Inside Out, right? Which is what. Yeah, I thought it would be more like that, but there's a lot more humor to it. Well, I think there's humor in Inside oh, Out. There's too. humor in Inside Out. Then there's Bing Bong, and you cry right. for a week. <laughs> uh, yes, no. There's a lot of humor to it. Tina Fey brings a lot uh, to that. Um, there is a an adoration of teaching uh-huh. and teachers that I think is important right now. Uh, so that was nice to see. Good music, really good music. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I recommend it. And like I said, yeah, and like you said, rather, l- look at it. It is right. beautiful. It is, it's really, there's a great deal of care put into this sort of this conception of the world that they've created. Yes. And I like these sort of philosophical Pixar films. Right. Um, because you can only go so far with the other stuff. I mean, I mean yeah, you're, but you're can, also making kids' movies, right, so you only you have to go so far. These sort of animated films, you're looking at something like Cars, yeah. and then it's planes. And yeah. it's like, obviously, there's a dead end you can reach right. for these things to where well, you're just I, doing the same thing over and over. I like that that Pixar as an, if not the em- preeminent mm-hmm. Animation studios, right. one of them in the world, is using animation to flesh out ideas that you can't have actors do, like yeah. just live action actors yeah. do. Uh, you can't. You can do so much more with, in animation with what you know limbo looks like, yeah. and what your internal mind looks like, with you know all of that stuff, and I like that they're doing that with the animation and they're making it look quite beautiful and interesting uh, in a way that like even live action when Chris Nolan wants to do we're in inception and we can make 
things do anything. Mm-hmm. He just puts a building on its side, and that's what we get. And it's right. like, you could have literally done <laughs> I mean, that's cool, right. I guess, but like... Well, it's Chris Nolan's idea of what's amazing, because he basically... But it's also a thing that right. I can look at and comprehend as a piece of the same universe that yeah. I'm in right now. Show me something that I can't comprehend as a piece of the, the universe that I'm in right one now. One of the scenes in that film is a real um, kind of a just a, a how can I put it a, a long homage to um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service the Bond film. Okay. And so it was almost as if we're getting Crystal and what he thinks or fantasizes about right. is a Bond movie and so we get this recreation of a Bond movie. That is ironic. Yeah. I literally earlier today yeah. saw a headline that said after, or it might not even have been mm-hmm. a headline, it was just a post in one of my groups that said something like, I saw Tenant, and yeah. it's clear from from watching it that all Chris Nolan wants to do is direct a Bond film, and he should absolutely well, not a, be allowed to do so. And this is something that I'll just bring it up for a couple of so minutes. So it's just funny that you just said I, that. I promise I'll keep it. We, we short On Christmas Eve, we saw a couple of programs on Amazon. Yes. We saw Emmett uh, Otter's Jug Band Christmas. It's so good, you guys, if you haven't seen it. It's a masterpiece of children's it's film. Uh, not even children. It's for young It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It's beautiful, and it's beautifully conceived. And uh, this was done originally for the Canadian Broadcasting Company and broadcast here on HBO originally, I think. Um, well, that's why I didn't ago. see it when I was a yeah, kid. I didn't see it. I did not I have HBO as a child. In World Magazine, the, the, not, the uh, children's version of uh, National Geographic at the time. And they had pictures of how they were constructing essentially this long riverbank with moving puppets in it and puppeteers and snorkels. Remember, this is before CGI. Yes. It was amazing. Uh, but we also saw another one called The Christmas Toy. Yes. Jim Henson's and A Christmas Toy. In mm. watching that, mm-hmm. which is a really lovely, lovely uh, show, although it's like all Jim Henson. Jim Henson programs, it's a little creepy. Yes. Well, was, yes. I mean, we saw the storyteller recently, and that yes. was... Ooh, very that creepy. Was like, creepy. Yes. And that was Nightmare-inducing, y'all. Wonderful for me, but <laughs> creepy as hell. But anyhow, when we're watching a Christmas toy, you are essentially watching the Christmas toy, the same it's plot the, as... It's the opening scene of Toy Story. Toy Story. And to the point where you even have the futuristic space character who doesn't believe they're a toy. Yes. That actually happens. It's wild. I was like, oh! And, and <laughs> Pixar straight ripped this shit off right. and I and never this, heard this of this This is before. one of the reasons why when I was a film student, I got really disappointed. I went in loving Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and then when I began seeing all the films they lifted from, yeah. I thought, well, why the hell am I so enamored of these guys when these other people made the movie? But... That's that's an element to a lot of stuff these days. Well, we it's been an element right. to a lot of stuff these days in every medium. Yeah, because there are what seven story structures. So right. yes, but even the more unique ones. I saw a film this weekend. I trapped the devil, which was lifted from Charles Beaumont's story, The Howling Man, which was so popular it was made into a Twilight Zone episode. It's one of the top 20 Twilight Zone episodes, and then they decided to make it their film without getting the original author any credit for it. And I'm looking at it going, this is... And then I saw that same idea in Castle Rock. Yes. Right? So Charles Beaumont, aside from Rod Serling, didn't get any recognition for yes. this. He's long gone, of course. 
But you just see how an idea just keeps getting used over and over again. Well, to almost the same uh-huh. um, yeah. same point, mm-hmm. um, I just today finished Bridgerton, the new right. show on Netflix. The pitch for that show is Gossip Girl in the Regency era. Right. That's it. Not something like that. No. It's exactly that. Right. That is the entirety of the pitch. When I see created by and it has one person's name on it, I'm like, no. no. <laughs> that is Jane Austen meets whoever created Gossip Girl, which undoubtedly uh-huh. came from something else. Yeah. Maybe a Regency thing. I'm not, that, I'm not familiar <laughs> enough with that literature. Yes. But it is, yeah. I mean, I was, <coughs> Sorry. I was like, Oh, it's Gossip Girl in the Regency era. And then I got literally one episode in, and I was like, what's well, not like that. It is it that. It is that. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so this weekend was also about realizing, having seen all these things, having seen um, Castle Rock and I Trapped the Devil, and then remembering the other program, and also seeing A Christmas Toy and Toy Story, having seen that. it's There's sometimes an idea just kind of rolls around forever, and eventually somebody finds a way of making money off of it. And that's a huge yeah. pity because a Christmas toy is also very good. It's, it's again, a creepier world. Jim Henson did it not. It is, yeah. But, it, but you will right. watch it now if you've never seen it and go, this was Toy Story. Right. Like, presumably, if you've right. seen Toy Story. And by creepy, I don't mean necessarily in this case that it's scary as much as it's the, the, the stakes for the toys are so much higher. They really are. For what happens to you if they catch you out of the box. What but there's also things. not a lot of, like, internal logic to what's causing right. that. They don't really, like, it's almost like a psychosomatic thing. Right. <laughs> it's weird. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, and both of those things, uh, the Emmett Otter, Doug Van Christmas. Yeah. Um, and uh, a Christmas toy are both, or the Christmas toy, I keep calling it. A Jim Henson's are, A Christmas Toy, right. I think, is actually. And they're both available on Amazon also. Yes, they're so both on Amazon. Those are Prime. really worth your while. They're both really I hadn't seen either of them. Uh-huh. We watched both of them, and I back was to back. so pleased. Yes. It was a uh, very it was a, good It was Christmas a really Eve lovely meal. way to spend Christmas it Eve, was. actually. Yeah, and the music in Emmett Otter is like oh, yeah. phenomenally Paul good. Paul Williams, Paul Williams wrote it. Who wrote so much of music in the seventies? Good, and also Muppet music, right? Specifically, I mean, you he think works he's with going Jim from Hunter. David Bowie and the Carpenters and writing Muppet music too. That's just yeah, he's an amazing songwriter. Yeah. So anyhow, I'm sorry, didn't mean right. to interrupt. That's what I had to say. <laughs> so is that? Everything? That's everything. Okay, that's everything. So next week, episode three and four of Castle Rock, season Mm -hmm. one. Yep. End with the box. End with the box. It's the box. It's the box. It's the box. It's Uh, the box. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching latecomerspod or latecomerspodcast in the search bar. Until next week, I remind you to take your medicine. I wish you a very happy New Year. Happy and happy. safe New Year. Mm-hmm. And we remind you better, better late than, than never. never.